Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. For the first time in season seven of this show. Lucky number seven, Matt. Is it lucky? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Seven, seven is most definitely a lucky number. We have uh, we have reached that quite lofty goal. And, uh, and yeah, it's time to kick off a new season of the show, talk about a new game. Of course, it's one that we've been, uh, I think, very excited to get into. Uh, really ever since we started this podcast. I think uh, this was always going to be one of our big question mark games, uh, mostly just because it is uh, a game that one half of this podcasting trio had never played. Trio? You can't have half of a trio. Sorry, one half of this podcast. Well, in in fairness, we generally have three people, but (laughs) yeah. Uh, One half of this podcasting duo, that math checks out, uh, who had not not played it. So so anyway, I think that uh, I think for that reason alone, this conversation is going to be excellent. Of course, we're going to get into that here in just a minute. But before we do that, Matt, I want to ask you. How you doing tonight? Uh, I am good. It has been an interesting couple of weeks uh, winding down the season uh, last season. Um, as I, I don't know if it's been said on any podcast since uh, it happened, but I was actually in a pretty bad car wreck a couple of weeks ago. It got it. It did it, make it, it did make into, it into last week's episode. Yeah. yeah the, so just high roll podcasters. Yeah. Just to give everybody a little more context. Uh, I, I was in a car wreck a couple of weeks ago during one of the really crazy thunderstorms here in Texas. Um, I was, I had to go to a friend's um, rehearsal for their wedding. Um, I was in the wedding, so I didn't have an opportunity to say a negative. Uh, so I was out driving around uh, and I, I drive a Mustang. So uh, not exactly the best car for, rainy weather and um i hydroplaned and spun a couple of times um not i didn't flip it just spun horizontally and uh you know hit a hit a concrete wall so um i'm okay uh thank god and uh cars pretty much okay um uh, getting fixed which should apparently take about two months because of supply chain reasons and lack of available labor reasons which hooray macroeconomic difficulties um but yeah so it's been an, it's been an interesting couple of weeks um just to reiterate though i i'm okay and very glad to be here very glad to be talking about zelda uh and glad that uh i was not injured and nobody else was injured in the process either so yeah other than that i think um past that just getting ready for the peak season of e-commerce which you know cyber week is crazy for us and we're uh we're recording a little bit earlier than normal just because i'm going to be traveling a lot over the next week and a half or two so we're trying to knock out a couple episodes before that happens so we're actually recording this what a almost a full week in advance this then- one is this one is actually on schedule the one that we're going to record with uh cody uh the barack obama of australia himself <laughs> um, the one that we're going to record with him on monday is going to be about a week in advance of when we would have really needed to do it yeah. uh yeah just to get ahead of that um so yeah i mean definitely a, a very busy season for everybody and you know we kind of looked back at the schedule and i, I think at the moment we're not going to need to delay any episodes uh by a week 
you know, but, but as always, as we get into the holiday season, if things just, you know, truly go sideways in any, any meaningful way, we'll keep you all in the loop. And if we need to push some stuff out, then uh, we, we may make that call. But right now, everything looks like it should fall into place pretty, uh, pretty well. And Wind Waker should be carrying us into the new year. Well, that is exciting. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I will say that I have enjoyed this so far and I'm very much looking forward to more. Um, it is going to be an interesting scheduling challenge not being able to play this on any kind of mobile device. Uh, we've been pretty spoiled so far. Excuse you. Sorry. We've been pretty spoiled so far by having games that have been either on the 3DS or the Switch. And uh, this is our first one that we're actually having to sit down in front of a TV for a couple hours at a time and knock knock through. So uh, that's, I think, going to be an interesting challenge for us that uh, we haven't had to do before. Yeah, so. d- definitely not ideal. I know that you at least have got well, actually, uh, oh, you're not flying to Colorado, but I know you you have at least one plane flight for work in your immediate future that probably would have been really nice to be able to play this on the switch for. Oh, yeah, I would have probably knocked out an entire uh, episodes worth of game time uh, on each trip because I'm going to Vegas, which is about a four, three or four hour flight from Dallas. So like, I would have had plenty of time to knock through a, se- a whole section of game in that time. And uh, I will not have that opportunity anymore. So I guess it's back to nice old Republic on switch or something because uh don't want to do any other Zelda and get my wires crossed. So got to figure something else to play. It is it is most definitely a shame, but uh, you know what? We've got two perfectly good Wii U's. We're getting some TV time. Uh, neither of us have been that that kind of narrative gamer in a little while, so it's uh, it's a fun little return to the days of yore. Honestly, is what I'm finding it to be. It so. feels it feels nostalgic in and of itself. Just playing Zelda on a TV screen, yeah. which I haven't done in a while. Yeah, could not agree more. Um, And yeah, I I think uh, I definitely think that I'm going to unless something really, you know, unless I just can't get TV time, I don't think I'm going to be indulging in the uh, in the gamepad play feature at all. I think I'm just going to do it as God intended in HD on a widescreen TV. So (laughs) as God intended, once the remake came out, you mean? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, but it was all part of the plan, Matt. It was all part of the plan. Uh, Yes, 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 indeed. Cool, cool. Well, obviously, we're going to have a lot to talk about in this first chapter of Wind Waker, taking our first steps into this uh, incredibly classic game, a very different game than the last few that we've been playing. It's going to be a great Great conversation. We can't wait for y'all to join us. Uh, Let's go ahead and get some housekeeping out of the way, though, so that we can dive right into that. Matt is holding up the finger of podcast interruption. Indeed. Before we get into housekeeping, what's the over under on us being able to keep episodes sub two hours in this season? (laughs) I think that I I think the odds are pretty good. I think this episode at least is going to come in sub two hours, if for no other reason than because uh, it's just us two. And that that always shortens conversation a bit. Yeah. Adding a third person is definitely always a, an X factor on top of things. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, my gut tells me that two hours two two hours to two fifteen should should be our golden number this season. I think it's probably what things are going to what things are going to land at. I could be wrong. You know what? We might be a little bit more brief. But uh, at this point, I'm 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 shooting over rather than like. You know, rather than assuming that we're going to go short all of a sudden out of nowhere. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, our, our none of our other th- none of our 3D games have ever been close to have ever been two hours. I mean, we got close in Breath of the Wild more than once, but uh, I don't even think any of our Breath of the Wild episodes got over two hours. 
So, one of the, one of them had to have. That game was massive. At least the intro episode had to have been about that long. I think it probably was close, but yeah. I mean, we're, we're not normally as loquacious uh, on games that we sing mostly praises of. So um, I think that's probably the, <laughs> the, the the limiting factor there. Well, there you have it. We don't expect to be uh, spending, you know, 13 or however many weeks. I get now nah, it's nine, nine weeks just serially dunking on the wind waker so <laughs> i felt like we didn't serially dunk on uh adventure of link either which is why those episodes were so crazy long yeah 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 okay well we'll see matt you know what? at the end of the episode we'll see where we clock in uh but i am guessing under two hours you're guessing over no i think we'll be under okay yeah. well there's only one way to find out. We got to actually do the pod. We got to do some pod. Got to do some pod. All right, y'all. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod to get access to our discord channel listener mail vote on what game we play next and so much more additionally one of the benefits that master sword patrons and above get on our show is that we read their names every week here on the podcast those legendary individuals are kelso chris tiffany the star daxel patrice stephanie darknuck brian george mike dylan ally lennon kolku rowan josh nick keep it going dante gep Brittany, davy haru the mighty derek albert mark andy Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. Max Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. You are the most legendary of individuals. We would sail the high seas with you any day. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that every week, of course, in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering chapter one of the Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, covering the game intro and our first steps into the Forsaken Fortress. Of course, part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is, as always, the plot recap tonight, read for you by Matt. Matt, it's your uh, it's your <coughs> inaugural it, it's the it's the recounting of your inaugural uh, dive into the Wind Waker, and I can't uh, can't wait to see what you got for us. It's on gonna this. be it's gonna be one for the history books. Actually, surprisingly, we did have someone reach out to us on Twitter the other day who asked if we had uh, all of our plot recaps written down anywhere, and unfortunately, the answer to that is no because I just delete them and write over them for the next one and i'm feeling very bad about that now so if any enterprising individual wants to take on the project of uh, like transcribing <laughs> transcribing uh, either with a program or if you're a masochist by uh by hand or by keyboard all of our plot recaps we would love to uh archive those somewhere and uh, keep them around because I do work very hard on these and never thought that anybody would be interested enough in them to uh, have them saved. So really uh, didn't think ahead on that one. I know I'm going to start saving them going forward. But um, if anybody wants to do that for all 80 something episodes of the podcast so far <laughs> and great, we don't have a plot recap in all of them, but, you know, the mass majority. So if anyone wants to do that, hit us up. We'll, uh, you know, try to figure out a way to compensate you for your time. In some way, shape, or form. <laughs> with with trading cards, or at the very least, with very kind words. Yeah, one or the other. Or both. <laughs> I don't know. Pro probably both. Probably both. <laughs> All okay, right. anyway. 
All that is to say, plot recap, The Wind Waker Chapter 1. Take it away, Matt. Long ago, there existed a kingdom where a golden power lay hidden. It was a prosperous land blessed with green forests, tall mountains, and peace. But one day, a man of great evil found the golden power and took it for himself. With its strength at his command, he spread darkness across the kingdom. But then, when all hope had died and the hour of doom seemed at hand, a young boy clothed in green appeared as if from nowhere. Wielding the blade of evil's bane, he sealed the dark one away and gave the land light. This boy who traveled through time to save the land was known as the Hero of Time, and the boy's tale was passed down through generations until it became legend. But then a day came when a fell wind began to blow across the kingdom, and the great evil that all thought had been forever sealed away by the hero once again crept forth from the depths of the earth, eager to resume its dark reign. The people believed that the hero of time would come again to save them, but the hero did not appear. Faced by an onslaught of evil, the people could do nothing but appeal to the gods. In their last hour, as doom drew nigh, they left their future in the hands of fate. What became of that kingdom? None remain who know. The memory of the kingdom vanished, but its legend survived on the wind's breath. And on our home island of Outset Island, it has become customary to garb boys in green when they come of age. Clothed in the green of fields, we are supposed to be inspired to find heroic blades and cast down evil. But what the elders really wish for us to know is courage, like the hero of legend. I just want to say I'm really proud that we kind of avoided the traditional narrative perspective shift halfway through the first plot recap of the season, <laughs> right? Like you kind of you kind of skirted around that a little bit. I, hey, I, I tried to make it smooth and like flowing, and uh, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it after seven seasons. Much like the ocean, <laughs> the ocean isn't always smooth, Lyndon. Fair enough. More like a more like a babbling brook. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> It is that day for us now, our birthday. And while we have snuck off to find some peace and quiet to nap in the warm coastal sun, our capricious younger sister has no desire to see us nap this special day away. She finds us in our favorite napping spot and promptly rouses us from our slumber. Errol is her normal bundle of joy. Though we want to sleep the day away, her infectious smile and exuberance make it bearable to face this ancient custom that we have been told about all our lives. We head on down to see Grandma, and she gives us the customary green clothes, which are just unseasonably hot for this climate. But they were made with love and care, and fit perfectly. So, on they go for this special day. Grandma asks us to go get Errol and bring her back so that the party can start in fervor. As we head off to find Errol, where we left her, we come across many of the inhabitants of our home island, including the enigmatic brothers living in the house next door. The older brother has a large collection of handy notes that detail tips and tricks of life, quote unquote, but the younger brother has a much more pragmatic take on life. 
Orca is the only person on the island that still studies the way of the sword, and we decide to get a quick lesson. But we need to get Errol, so we head back to the lookout spot, and there we find her, as we knew we would. But surprisingly, she gives us our first birthday present of the day. Her prized telescope is ours, but only for the day, of course. As we're using it to look around, we see the Rito mailman begin to absolutely go cuckoo. <laughs> Looking up, we see the most monstrous and enormous bird that has ever been thought up in a child's nightmare. In its claws, it carries a young woman, and in its wake, a pirate ship is hot on its tail, launching stone after stone as it is trying to shoot down the bird. In an absolute miracle of luck, the pirates hit the bird, but that spells disaster for the young woman as she is dropped from an insane height into the forest at the top of the mountain of Outset Island. Errol cries. Is it Errol or Arl? Errol. Okay, good. I said that right. Like like the bird and uh, the owl in Harry Potter. Yes, but spelled much spelled differently. Spelled differently, yeah. yeah. That's like <clears throat> Errol Flynn. Yeah. Errol cries that we have to go help the poor girl, and being the noble and heroic person we are, or maybe it's just these damn green clothes, we head to the Swordmaster Orca to borrow a sword. We need the sword to cut through the tough underbrush blocking the path to the mountain, but also because it is purported to have monsters inside. Orca loans us a blade after a further demonstration of our ability, and we head off to save the young woman. Once we reach the forest, we find it fully overgrown, and we do even find a lone bokoblin that quickly falls to our sword work. The young woman was saved from certain death by a handy tree branch that caught her vest, which is apparently made of mithril in order to survive an impact like that without tearing. She quickly wakes up and panics, sufficiently to break the branch and fall to the ground. And as she does, her crew shows up exclaiming how happy they are to see her alive. Tetra, which is what they call her, immediately calls for her crew to head back to the ship and chase down the bird. As we all leave the mountain without even so much as a thank you from Tetra, we see Errol running towards us. In a moment of pure horror, the giant bird returns and swoops down to pluck Errol right off the ground and fly away. In a moment of panic, we try to rush after her, only to fall to certain death if it weren't for the speedy, strong hands of Tetra that catch us. We head down the mountainside and demand that Tetra and her crew take us with them to find the bird and our sister. And even though... Tetra callously tells us to just forget about her and move on. Just as we're about to run Tetra through with our sword for being a callous tart, the Rito mailman interjects and absolutely destroys Tetra in front of her crew. Not only reminding Tetra that we saved her life, but that it's her fault in the first place that Errol got taken, because the bird obviously mistook Errol for Tetra. Also, he reveals that young girls with long ears, the like of which Errol and Tetra both have, have been getting kidnapped all over the Great Sea lately and taken to the bird's roost, which is at the Forsaken Fortress. Begrudgingly, Tetra ag agrees to take us there, but only if we can at least find a shield with which to defend ourselves. We head back home where the ancestral shield has been hanging on the wall for as long as we can remember, but we find it gone from the top loft, and as we look around, Grandma confronts us about Errol's disappearance. She is of course heartbroken for our sweet younger sister, and regretfully gives us the shield so that we can go rescue her. She tells us that legend says this shield was once used by the hero himself, and that it will serve us well. We head back to Tetra and set sail. With a last look at the island, we wave farewell to the people we have known all of our lives. 
Tetra makes some mocking comments as that appears to be the only way she is able to communicate and we hop to on the ship to prepare for the Forsaken Fortress. Below decks, we get some quick training from someone named Nico who gives us a spoils bag when we beat his obstacle course in record time. We quickly arrive at the fortress and Tetra calls us up to the deck. We see a forbidding tower of black stone covered with searchlights and monsters. It is immediately obvious that there is no way we could approach unseen. But Tetra has a plan and she puts us in a barrel and loads us onto the ship's catapult. With some less than comforting words about having done this many times, we find ourselves flying through the air at a suicidal pace toward the stone wall of the tower. And as we smack face first into the stone, our sword flies out of our hand and we slide down into the canal below. Thus begins a stealth mission where we are forced to avoid the many searchlights and dozens of bokoblins that patrol the fortress. We do so and even get the idea to take out the monsters controlling the lights. And as we head up there, a voice emanates from our pocket, and we find a magical stone that Tetra's snarky voice is coming from. She tells us that she slipped this rock into our pocket so that she could talk to us and see what we were doing. She tells us that we will likely need to find a door directly under the room where we believe Errol is being kept so that we can ascend the tower. While we are doing that, taking up the monsters should be a matter of using our shield to disarm the Bokoblins and then kill them with their own weapons. Taking this advice, we assault the first searchlight and do exactly that. Using this tactic, we ascend the fortress and disable all the searchlights in the, on our way. In the room with the door that we need, we find a pair of moblins guarding the door, and we use a handy barrel nearby to sneak past their dumb faces. On the third level of the fortress, we finally find our sword, but are quickly confronted by a higher-ranking bokoblin using a sword and shield. This enemy tries some fancy moves on us, but is no match for our spiffy green tunic and fancier sword work. We make quick work of it and head into the room at the top of the tower. We see a cage at the far side of the room that contains a number of young women, all with blonde hair and long ears like Errol. To our great relief, we also see Errol. We rush towards her to free her from this prison, but a huge shadow swallows us and the suffocating weight and musky stench of feathers surrounds us. We feel hard claws and scaly feet grip us, and we are once again airborne. But this time, as a captive of the gigantic bird. It flies us to a ledge on the far side of the fortress, where we can barely make out a huge man with fiery red hair and a long black cloak. This figure says nothing, but the bird obviously serves it, and with a mere gesture of his head, the man commands the bird to toss us out to sea. As we fly through the air, screaming our fear and frustration, all we can think about is the look of dashed hope that Errol had when we failed to rescue her. However will we get back there? How can we get past that gigantic bird? What are those girls doing there in the first place? And who is that shadowy figure with the fiery red hair? All of these questions disappear from our, our mind as we hit the water with the force of a sack of bricks. And right as we are about to lose all consciousness, we catch a brief glimpse of a reddish shape gliding towards us on the tides of the sea. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's get into part two, which is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. All right, Matt. So the the time has come. This moment has been 
so long in the making. I mean, I, I have been trying to convince you to play this game for years and years and years. Uh, it's a game that I, I love. I hold it very dear. I esteem it very high. Like I, I rate it very highly amongst the canon of Zelda games. And, uh, you know, uh, with the goal of this podcast being for both of us to play each Zelda game, including the ones we've never played before, the time has now come for you to, you know, dive into it Indeed. and and for us to figure out what you, what you thought of it and, and where you're at with it. So with that in mind, I'm going to open up the floor to you and just let you give us your off the cuff. Like, like, how was this for you? Did you enjoy yourself? What are what are your impressions here? And we'll get more into nitty gritty specifics um, about the intro of the game after that. But just lay it on me. Yeah, I really I really did enjoy this first little bit. Um, it is a little more involved than most intro sections of Zelda games. Uh, starting out with a stealth mission was interesting. Um, I can't think of another Zelda game where we really do that. Most of the time, it's just, you know, getting the hang of sword mechanics or getting the hang of, um, you know, movement mechanics and item mechanics. And there's really none of that in this first section, which I found very interesting. Um, not in a bad way, but just in a in a different kind of way. Um, I, I still have to be honest that I have a hard time with the chibi art style. It's just not my favorite. And I know that I'm probably going to get crucified by some people who just like love it and think it's adorable and so cute and blah, 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 whatever, which, you know, to each their own. It's just not my favorite style outside of that. The artwork, the, the like the, the landscape and uh, like the textures, the cell shading, the cell shading is gorgeous. Like yeah. I, I love that. Um, it, it, the, uh, what Max said about the lighting being harsher in the Wii U version, I can definitely tell. It's like very bright and heavily saturated. Um, whereas I, I think I've seen some some pictures of of it on the GameCube where it's a little darker and more shaded. And I think that that might be a little better in my opinion. Um, but just like overall, very, very well done. The music is phenomenal. Like I... I love 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 the the tone setting that the music has the feeling of uh tropical um peace and uh, tranquility that's on outside island then um you know the spookiness of of forsake of the forsaken fortress and um like i just have really really enjoyed the the vibe of the game so far. I mean, is this not just one of the most cheerful games that you've ever played? It's hard to be in a bad mood when this game is on in the room, like the, from the title music to, um, the outset Island music to, I mean, everything about it, like it just brings a brightness and a joy into the space that it occupies. And that's something that I need more Mm -hmm. of in my life. So (laughs) I'm I'm very appreciative of that at this moment. And, you know, honestly, the neat thing is that, uh, you haven't even heard the best two songs in the game yet. So. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but amazing things about Dragon Roost Island. I mean, I've heard Dragon Roost Island before, but not in game. So I'm very excited about that one. Um, and uh, I've also heard the Windfall Island, which uh, it's, I, I did play a little bit ahead as well. And and man, I was vibing to Windfall Island uh, a lot yesterday yeah. the soundtrack <laughs> in this game is is truly one of its highest points it's a game full of high points honestly but its soundtrack is phenomenal yeah um I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you enjoyed yourself honestly and i i knew that your first impression on the chibi art style was 
Because it's not like you didn't know what this looked like. Right. I mean, right? I, I have so. I have actually played like 15 minutes of Wind Waker yeah. before. Well, and, and just like it. And you've just like through osmosis and existing on the Internet, like have absorbed the way this game looks. Yeah, right. For sure. So. Uh, so, yeah, I knew that your first impression was probably going to hold true. Um, what I'm curious to see is if it kind of grows on you over the course of playing the game, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sort of where you net out with it towards the towards the end of the game. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we'll definitely kind of be, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on that situation, checking in with you periodically. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to mention is that, so, uh, we'll get into the, to the stealth mission as you called it here in, in just a little bit, but let's talk about the introductory area, you know, the, the place that we really load into with this game, which is, uh, which is outset Island. And, uh, as you said, this has got all the amazing tropical cheery sunlit vibes that you would want from a location like this. Um, I, I think that this might be one of my favorite places that link lives at the start of the game, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a place I would want to live. Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. Like no question. I, I live there. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely idyllic. Um, and what I like about it is that it's populated by characters who have a lot of character. Like mm-hmm. one of the things that I think this animation style really is able to do is to give a lot of personality to character models. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that we see a lot of that in this village. We've got snot nosed kid, you know, um, Link's grandma has got a lot of personality. Orca's got a lot of personality. Era, er- Errol has a lot of personality Mm -hmm. uh beetle who we meet here for the first time indeed there he is the the man himself the the introduction of the of the legendary beetle this was his first appearance in the legend of zelda series and yeah i mean i I feel like all of these characters are just like rendered and designed so well and they've all got so much personality not only in the way that they look but also in like the the movements you know Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of fun attitude to the movements and like the mannerisms of characters in this game yeah so what I would say, not necessarily in counterpoint to that, but I would say that it is very um, what if if an actor were doing this, we would call it like meta acting, like they're overacting it, right? Like right, it's, yeah. it's very exuberant and it is very expressive. Um, like I'm thinking of the moment that the giant bird like turns and watches the huge rock catapulting up towards it. Yeah, you know? yeah. it's like. Yeah, that's it's you know fun little comic relief esque moments like that. Yeah, that that's what I would kind of it's it's almost silly, um, and you know, I think that it matches the tone of the game for sure. It's not my favorite thing um, to 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 be this supercilious about about every aspect of the game. Um, like even, even Link's expressions of like distaste when he gets the green tunic, like it made me laugh. And then it just like kept happening with at so many other points of the game. And I'm just like, okay, like it was funny the first time. It's still like humorous. I'm, I'm concerned that that will kind of wear off on me somewhat soon. Okay. I well, don't know. We'll Ma- see. We'll see. I don't, I don't recall. I mean, you know, it's not like this stops happening throughout the game, but I, you know, I think it does get a little front loaded. Yeah, you know, that's fair because the game does get a little bit more serious as it goes forward. You know, it never gets into like Twilight Princess territory. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I don't want every game to be Ocarina of Time emo edition, which is Twilight Princess. So. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's back up for one second because I know we normally start off 
uh, these intro episodes by talking about the lore. You know, yes. we typically get a big lore dump at the beginning of these games, actually starting really with uh, with our most recent game that we played, Zelda 2. Yes, big you know, lore dump. Yeah, as, as you know, that game really established a pattern of of just dumping a whole lot of narrative onto you, you know, mm-hmm. and giving us a lot to talk about. Um, and this game is really no different. We have a an animated kind of Deathly Hallows sort of animated intro section. Yeah, right? I was thinking more of uh, the way that they do the Face Palace and uh, Link's Awakening oh, uh, yeah. Switch remaster because it's the same like uh, glyph, glyph like structure. Yeah, yeah, like I wouldn't go as far as Deathly Hallows because there's not animated characters acting it out, right? That, that's, fair, yeah, that's, that's fair. It's definitely the side-scrolly glyphness and I like it a lot. I think it's an effective storytelling mechanic, especially when you're trying to... Uh, give the impression of uh, legends or ancient pieces of literature. Um, You know, I think really thinking about like the story of Troy would be a lot like this for ancient Greece or uh, or the Romans, right? Like I imagine this is what it was like telling the story of the fall of Troy and Achilles and everything for, for the Romans. I mean, I know they had papyrus and stuff, but like it was mostly oral tradition. So sitting around a campfire, someone reciting the the epic of uh, the Iliad, and like I feel like that's what this is trying to communicate and I think it's done very effectively yeah I I totally agree and I think it's so interesting because you know we we had um, a a pretty big discussion in the last few weeks about how I think we talked about this with Max and the recap for Zelda 2 we talked about how the Zelda series does not have a lot of direct sequels right right Um, and when it does have you know, when it, when it does have a game that establishes itself explicitly as taking place after another previous game, mm-hmm. it's typically pretty like there might be some mentions of things that happened in that first game, but it's not usually too specific. Right. It's, it's normally fairly well disguised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this game really sets itself apart in that way. This introductory lore dump uh, references specifically events that took place in ocarina of time Mm -hmm. and even goes so far as to label the link of that game as the hero of time to kind of pull that name back out uh and and really talk specifically about that version of link and the things that happened in that game which is really interesting to me i think it's awesome as big fans of ocarina of time i think it's very nice for it to be you know not really playing around, not trying to obfuscate its connection to that game. It's stating, uh, it's stating very plainly, this follows the events of Ocarina of Time, which was still a fairly recent game as mm-hmm. of the making of this game, right? And also a highly well-received one. Yep. So I, I'm sure that that kind of played into this a little bit, like Nintendo knew at the time. Ocarina of Time was a huge hit. People loved it. So let's let's go ahead and mention that. You know, let's yeah. get that top of people's mind. Um, and of course, the events that are being mentioned do conform to uh, the ending of Ocarina of Time and the creation of the uh, of the adult timeline. So I also really loved the direct callback to Ocarina of Time. And this is obviously the first 3D game. I say obviously. I shouldn't say stuff like that. Not everybody has the knowledge of Zelda that we have. So I I sound like an elitist when I say stuff like that. This is, if you didn't know, uh, the first 3D game 
after Majora's Mask, which was a immediate sequel to Ocarina of Time. The two games in between uh, Majora's Mask and this game were Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, both Capcom games that were in uh, the the top down uh, format. I think they're on the Game Boy Advanced or Game Boy Color. Which ones? Uh, Oracles. Uh, Game Boy Color. Color. Yeah, they're on the Game Boy Color. So this is your first uh, foyer back into the world of 3D Zelda after the direct sequel of Majora's Mask. So the fact that they are continuing the story of the Hero of Time, I think is a very intentional thing that they are, uh, you know, banking on, uh, you know, cashing in on the success of Ocarina of Time, the success of Majora's Mask, the belovedness of that characterization of Link, and just pulling that forward into this game to give the player some type of direct connection to those games, but also by removing it so far in time from those games, allowing it to be its own distinct thing, its own game, its own uh, its own adventure, um, while still paying homage. So I think that that is uh, really well done and kind of a good way of doing things, uh, something that they continue to do throughout the rest of the 3D games. And I think this was kind of Nintendo figuring out that Zelda is, you know, their standalone adventures, but it's okay to have things interconnected because this was really the time of that, that sequels were big and there was a lot of interconnected stories in, in gaming beginning to really show itself. Um, and I think that there, there was a, this was an era of pushing towards that more connected narrative style. So I think this mm. is the, them leaning in, but also still trying to remain, uh, what, what we would call like a bottle episode, right. Or, or a standalone adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting because, uh, the story that's being told here isn't even necessarily a hopeful one. Right. Right. And you know, the events of kind of what unfolded in Hyrule after, uh, after Link, the hero of time, being sent back by Zelda to his own time, you know, it, it seems like it actually got pretty bleak there for a while, right? Yeah. You know, Hyrule, uh, as it had been, you know, kind of sort of devastated by Ganon um, in his seven-year reign of terror, uh, continued on. And then after a while, Ganon was able to escape from the seal that had been placed on him by us and the sages and Zelda. And, uh, you know, people are expecting a hero of time to come forward and save them. Only it doesn't happen because, you know, we were sent back in time that that character does not exist in that timeline anymore. Yeah. And there's no there's no descendant of the hero in the adult timeline that I'm aware of. Um, So, yeah, there's not much there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's sort of interesting because this introductory lore dump really kind of leaves us on a bit of a cliffhanger, right? It mentions this kingdom very specifically and then doesn't really expound on that any further. You know, it just says nobody knows what became of that kingdom. And then next thing you know, we're dropped into a setting which is notably not that kingdom. Yeah. And um, anybody that played Ocarina of Time w- would immediately be aware of that by the fact that they are on an ocean like there is no ocean in ocarina of time it's it's completely utterly removed both uh now from a uh story perspective but also from a um geographic perspective so right it's just yeah totally totally separate so it's really cool yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's the that's kind of the introductory lore that we have here. Um, of course, the establishing setting of the character that we're going to be playing in this game, this version of Link. I, I really love the different ways that these games keep finding to put rando kids in green clothes. 
you know, <laughs> yeah, like always. <laughs> um, and I really like the recurring joke of like people like you're, you're wearing his green clothes and everyone's just like, uh, my dude, it is a tropical climate here. That looks really warm, you know? Yeah. And I, I had a note written down. I was like, why is this so warm? And then I looked at it later and I'm like, he's got tights. He's got long boots. He's, he's got long he's layering. Sleeves. Yeah. He is fully layered up with a hat and basically like Hawaii. And that yeah. doesn't sound like fun. Where, where is his outset Island garb? It looked, uh, it looked pretty comfy for a day at the beach, right? He, he was vibing. He was throwing up a shaka and just sitting on the beach, drinking uh, the orange drink of uh, tiki pleasure. Got his little lobster shirt on. Ah, I love that lobster love shirt. That I want lobster one. Shirt. So actually fun little thing here. I didn't realize this, but I fired up this save on the Wii U that I played this game on before and beaten this game on before. And there was a little Triforce symbol next to the next to my new save file. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know what it meant. I thought it just meant that that had previously been a, like that slot had previously had a beaten game, you know? Right. Uh, because it didn't have anything to do with hero mode. And just for the record, I am playing this in hero mode. That's not. Obviously. Uh, but hero mode was still able to be toggled on and off. And that Triforce symbol was there no matter what. So I wasn't sure at all what that meant. Loaded into the game, got through to the part where you get the clothes from your grandma and something really weird happened. Link is holding his hand up like he just got the clothes, but there's nothing there. The air over him is just empty. empty. And grandma says something. She says something weird. It's something along the lines of, you know, these are clothes that are invisible except to those who are incredibly honest or something like that. It's a weird piece of dialogue. And then the scene ends and Link is still wearing his outset island garb, lobster gear and pants and all that. Right. <laughs> so turns out what that little symbol means is once you've beaten the game, if you fire up a new game in that same slot, uh, you get to play through that entire version of the game wearing Link's outset island. Clothes. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, that's really cool. And so I, 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 I shut that down. And I went and redid that five minutes of game in another file because I feel like it's important for me to, you know, be wearing Link's actual outfit for this, you know, for this, uh, for our purposes of, of doing a podcast about this whole thing. But uh, I mean, that's fair, but also I would totally rock the lobster shirt. Well, Matt, one day when you come back and play this game again, after having beaten it once, that option will be open to you. <laughs> uh, which it's actually kind of Breath of the Wildy, right? It's it is like, very Breath of the Wildy. Very, you know, the the blue, the long sleeve, yeah. the uh, the. I mean, he's got orange pants, but it is easily be tan. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm here for it. Okay, so yeah, that's my fun little story about Link's Outset Island garb. That is a fun little story. Thank you for sharing. Since I mentioned, let's go ahead and get into our discussion about gameplay here. And uh, since I mentioned it, I am playing the game in hero mode. What that means, uh, pretty standard for Zelda games, is that I take more damage from enemies uh, and there are no heart drops in the world. You're only able to replenish your health by use of potions and uh, fairies. So, well, good luck. I'm sure you will be fine. Yeah, I don't recall this being one of the harder games to really do that with. So it's, no. it's, it's just a fun challenge, yeah, honestly. It doesn't seem like it would be all that bad. I got hit one time in so, my pull section. So. so so here's one thing that I really wanted to talk about in yes. terms of the gameplay. Tell me. Because one of the things that we've mentioned a lot is one of the reasons that I specifically don't remember Twilight Princess super fondly. Mm-hmm. is because to me the controls and the way that link moves in that game feel 
a little stiff and a little clunky, right? Yeah. Especially in comparison to this game, which came out before Twilight Princess. And every time I load into this game, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm impressed all over again by just how fluid it feels, just how fluid Link's motions feel, especially once you get the sword and you start doing like sword combat and training and everything. It's just a very nice and very smooth feeling experience. Uh, I I absolutely agree. It's very fluid. Um, everything connects and flows from one one move to the next. Um, everything from crouching to crawling to uh, the combos you can do that are uh, you know the the especially like the stab combo I think is really neat because you do the stab stab and then like a twirl jump move and it all just flows very naturally. There's no. Um, stuttering there's no um standing still really mm-hmm. um even the just walking around the island feels like you're almost gliding um the combat role is smoother than it is in really any other game that mm-hmm. i think i've played and we have a parry we have a what or not a parry we have a dodge attack we do yeah i saw i i did that which was really cool i um i liked that uh it was not the same as like the skyward sword uh shield bash it was a uh, it it's like almost aikido-esque where you just like dodge flow around and then hit from behind i thought that was kind of neat yeah it's definitely a very different combat style and uh yeah I, I i like it a lot i think it's very well done and it does feel like you said smooth and uh, everything flows well yeah um you know, which is which honestly just dovetails so well with everything of everything about this game just feels so, so fluid and so relaxing in some ways to me, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, you know, that carries from the aesthetic into the movement and into combat and all these other things. It's just an all encompassing sort of package. And I, I really do enjoy it. Um, yeah, I don't know. What what else do we want to talk about in this? Like before we get into dungeon map, which is I think where we're going to talk about Forsaken Fortress, right? Um, yeah, um, I had some notes that I that I thought were really interesting. So um, the fact that all of the um, houses on Outside Island have upside down triforces on on the doors, I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they it's the whole thing of the legend being lost to time, right? Yeah. It's like they know what it is, but they're using it incorrectly almost. Yeah. Um, So I thought that was really cool. And Um, of course, this is long before uh, low rule was even a twinkle in a Geonuma's eye. Yeah. So so it's not, you know, indicative of low rule in any way for sure. Um, I think it's also cool that the shield that's hanging in the house actually reminds me more of a link to the past shield than it does Ocarina of Time's Hylian shield. Um, so I, I wrote that down as a note as well. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that looks a lot like, uh, the shield in a link to the past or, um, you know, something like that. So I, I really like this shield as well. And it is a little weird because when you pick up the shield, the little text bubble says that it was fabled to have been used by the hero himself. And like, that's definitely not the highly shield. Right. Exactly. So it's definitely exactly. not. And the, the, the bird on it. Actually, I was looking at it more closely in some artwork earlier today. It looks like the artwork for the Thunderbird in Adventure of Link. Oh, really? Yeah, it does. It looks like either that or like even a Sphinx, maybe. But it is not a Loftwing for sure. I always thought it was like a little sea demon sort of. Yeah, it's kind of that. But like if if you uh, go look at it and also pull up um, 
Takata's, um, Tarada's, sorry, pull up Tarada's artwork of the, the Thunderbird. And I think you would, um, I think you would, uh, agree that there's a little bit of similarity, at least in the face. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, it looks sort of like Betro. Oh, it does kind of look like Betro also. That's funny. I, I didn't make that connection. Shame yeah. on me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, lo- I love the way this shield looks. And just, I mean, little spoiler here. There are only two shields in this game, and this is one of them. So, Well, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely really like this shield design as well. How do you feel about the sword? Because this is very much... Uh, it, it's, looks, it looks like a gladius. It is a gladius. It's very yeah. it's very different from the Kokiri sword. It has no hand guards, really. It's just got a little yeah the cup basically yeah yeah. yeah. Um, it's definitely a little a little training sword looking deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I had to finish drink some whiskey. I never <sighs> apologize for that. Woo. Ooh, that one went down a little. What is rough. what are you drinking? Uh, just Buffalo Trace. Okay. Yeah, uh, which is hard to come <laughs> by down here in Texas. Um, but it, it went so down your throat just, sideways. It did a little bit. Not not quite fully sideways, maybe a little diagonally. Okay. Um, um, some of these characters are really funny on Outside Island. The guy that tells you you can find treasure by cutting up grass. I think he's just trying to get you to cut his lawn for free, um, which totally worked on me, by the way. Yeah, I think that's implied. Yeah. yeah. Um, already talked about the facial expressions. Uh, so what do we is think of this? Hold on. Is this the first game where we have three item slots r l and y no you had three item slots in uh in the n64 games they were bound to the three the yellow n64 up you're right yeah dang it's been so long since i played the actual n64 game i thought that was a uh I had forgotten that that was how it was. I thought that might have been a 3DS improvement, but that nope. makes much more sense. Cool. Uh, you were going to ask me something. Yeah, I was going to say, um, what did you think? So we, we've talked about a few different characters, but how do you feel about Tetra? We haven't really talked about Tetra yet. Not a fan so far. Really? No. Like, I, I like snarky characters. I think Tattle's funny, but Tattle's not funny until you get more of the way into the game. Like, she start the the way that she starts off is just not great. There's not a thank you. There's a she literally just says like, oh, ignore him after you just saved her freaking life. And then your sister gets kidnapped by a gigantic bird and she says, shrug it off. Forget about it. Like, screw you. That's my sister. I mean, a very precocious character. There's no getting around that. Um, I'm I have no doubt if she is a continuing character that I, she will grow on me because like that's generally how these characters work because they start out abrasive, but then they grow on you over time and you you learn to love them by the end of the game if they're done well, which Zelda normally does characters well. So I, I have I have no um I, I fully expect that I will grow to love Tetra, but right out of the gate in this first chunk, nothing to like, really at all as a character and i mean just think about it like you've already played the full game so you have mm-hmm. the full history and context of her full character arc. sure sure right out of the gate is there any redeeming quality that she has uh i mean i i really do like kind of the attitude of the character i think that you're you're supposed to kind of feel like maybe she's a little unnecessarily prickly you yeah. know um, I think that that's kind of intentional characterization. Um, I do sort of appreciate the, I don't know, I, like, I feel like it fits within her character as like 
the like the boss of a pirate crew, right? Sure, but bosses of pirate crews are not likable people when they're talking about forgetting about the fact that your sister just got kidnapped by a bird. I mean, sure, sure. Give us, give us some time. Give it some time. I'm, and some room. I'm, I'm saying that I'm going to do that. Okay. But you, we're talking about specifically yeah. within this chunk of game. I, what, I, yeah. yeah, no, I get what okay. you're saying. I get yeah. what you're saying. Um, so, okay, so we'll, we'll get we'll get more into. Tetra. We'll check in on Tetra later. Later. Uh, what about the pirate crew? Because we've got a lot of you know that's that's certainly a motley assemblage of yeah people. I, I, I the I have a note here. Literally says pirates dope. Pirates are cool. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with pirates. One of the things, pirates are fun. Sure. One of the things that I think is so fun about this game is that it's a little jarring to see, um, to, to see like genres that are not straight medieval. Yeah. Agreed. Popping up here. Right. Yeah. Um, sort of in the same way that techno, like tech fantasy stuff and breath, breath of the, of the wild. wild was just, it wasn't just knights and ninjas and it was, yeah, it was a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the closest that this series ever really came to this prior to this game was Majora's mask at times felt maybe just a little bit more 17th or 18th century. It was a little more colonial. Yeah. 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 Like, you bit. know, they had like, clock towers and you know mayors of towns and yeah all you know but even even that was still a bit more you know it, it it was still pretty much underneath the umbrella of the fantasy genre you know sure. um but this is very much like you know pirates of the caribbean meets like nickelodeon you know? yeah yeah is, agreed is kind of what we're doing here and i think it's really nice uh i think you know, I, I love when Zelda is not afraid to take big swings in its tone mm-hmm. from game to game. And I feel like some of its greatest successes have been the result of, you know, of, of the people making these games being willing to do that. Um, because, you know, as awesome as Ocarina of Time is, I don't want to play 12 games that are all just like riffs on Ocarina of Time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, totally agree. So I I think that the pirate crew is pretty neat. There's obviously like the doofus. There's the guy who's out there for adventure. There's Nico who's like the the ratty little underling who's trying to uh be the big man now that you're the new kid, right? Like I I I, I can see I can easily see a path forward where I grow to really like all of these characters. So yeah. I'm excited about that for sure. One thing I want to say, there's two things I want to say before we move on to, um, before we move on to what's a dungeon map, dungeon map. Thank you. Um, is, (laughs) um, when you are doing the sword training with Orca and he's teaching you the stab attack, (laughs) he says, good link, keep thrusting. Well, and I just want to say, well, that's just uh, that's just <laughs> that is what, not what, some, more, what more is there to add, really? I mean, <laughs> this is not something that should ever come out of anybody's mouth. Just well, ever. I don't want to say ever, but I mean, like, yes, well, you, in, in the context of this, this is your uh, this is your friendly neighborhood podcast run by a couple of 14 year olds. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, look, man. look, I got to believe that the innuendo was slightly lost on the translation team. Yeah, probably. You know, probably. But maybe not. Who's to say? I mean, I feel like it's pretty universal, but I don't know. You got any uh, you got any other uh, gems hidden in your notes over there? Uh, we have a section for music, right? 
We do have a section for music. Okay, then I'll save that well, one. Well, uh, we have a section for uh, music as it relates to the dungeon. If it's not specific to the dungeon, then it belongs here. Cool. So then I have two more things. So it's, uh, it's the pirate ship. The theme on the pirate ship. Yeah. Is it just me or is that very gross? It is very Very gross. It's yeah. very, thank you. Okay. I, like As soon as I heard it, I was like, was this Groose's theme? Just like out of the gate? Obviously, Groose's theme would be the pirate ship theme because Skyward Sword came after, but very, very similar. Well, let's be real. If Groose existed in this timeline, he would he totally would, be a pirate. He would be on this pirate ship. He would be on that pirate ship for sure. And he'd be inappropriately trying to flirt with Tetra, getting his ass thrown off the plank every day. Yep. Like just would happen. Sounds about right to me. Um, and then last thing is, so what is up with Hylians? I guess they're not Hylians uh, per se. Not all having long ears anymore. Like that was very weird to me is like only some of them have long ears. Was it just like a genetic trait that like kind of bred out? of? Yeah, the I'm not species sure. I or think, like I think um, it's weird. It seems like we're sort of meant to assume that those who do have long ears are of more pure Hylian heritage. Yeah, right? I, mean, I, I think, guess so. I think that's the implication. Um, I guess I would assume that we're going to hear just a little bit more about this. Uh, as we get further into the game and it gets stated plainly why uh, this bird is searching out people who have long ears. I assume right? you're telling me that that is something that will happen later in the game. It is. It okay. is. I just don't know how specifically it's mentioned that like, oh, all Hylians used to have long ears. But over time, they this and this happened. Like, okay. I don't I don't know how specifically it's stated. Um, but I, I do think you're probably correct. I think the assumption is that over a very long period of time, um, it was a trait that was sort of bred out. And uh, yep. those who still have it can be assumed to have a large amount of pure Hylian blood. There you go. Yep. Cool. That's that's kind of what I thought. But it was just an interesting thing that I was like, that's weird that. Yeah. Anyway, there yep. you go. Those were the last of my I have many more notes here, but I'll save some of them for other parts. But yeah, those uh, those are my notes. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, with all of that being said, let's go ahead and move on to part three, which is the dungeon map in which we talk about this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Of course, this week we don't necessarily have a traditional dungeon. We have a small combat section that we get up to in uh, Outside Island. Uh, and then once we get to the Forsaken Fortress, uh, we do have a little bit of a more contained dungeon-like area uh but really i mean you mentioned it up front matt it, it functions mostly as a stealth section yeah it, it, it's really not quite like assassin's creed-esque um but yeah it, it was uh it was fun i there are very few whole encounters that are stealth encounters in zelda games like the one that comes immediately to mind is um sneaking into Hyrule Palace and Ocarina of Time and also probably the more extended version of that, but less lengthy version of this is the Deku Palace and Majora's Mask. So I think this kind of toes that line and does it very well. I think it was very successful. Yeah, well, and it's just so fun because those those two areas specifically always felt to me like they felt more gamey than actual functional spaces in a in a world you know yeah sure like they all sort of felt arranged in order to be a part of this little stealth mini game that they you know yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh the forsaken fortress really feels like it feels like a fortress it feels yep. like a fortress that is under heavy guard um yep well it, it does except for the fact that there's only th four or five actual enemies 
It's, you got the three that are operating the uh, searchlights. Well, you have the sentries who patrol the hallways. The two. Yeah. I don't what sentries that patrolled what hallways. I didn't see the any sentries that patrolled hallways. The ones that if they see you, they throw you in jail. Yeah, the two that are guarding the door. The, the two moblins. There are more than that. I saw two moblins. There's definitely some in the lower hallways. I never went in the lower hallways. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was never in the lower hallways. Okay, so there's definitely two in the lower hallways, and then there are these these little devil uh, guys. I don't know. I don't know what they're called. I'll need to go. Look I got that name shot up, by a gargoyle thing when I fell into a, one of the bunk beds. Uh, it's not that. Hold on, wind. Wait, but anyway, wait. what from what I saw, and apparently I didn't do this totally correctly but what from what i saw there was the three book goblins that ran the searchlights there was the two moblins that guarded the door there was the one moblin on the third level and then the one green book goblin that guarded the door to the uh cages so here we go they're called mini blends oh that's these little that? these little pygmy moblin looking dudes oh and, those uh, are creepy they are creepy Ew. and uh, specifically in like the kitchen area in the lower floor of the Forsaken Fortress, these guys will mob you out of nowhere. Um, and I, I seem to recall like later in the game, you fight more of them and they're very weak. They go down very easily against your sword attacks. But of course, in this section of the game, we don't have our sword. Uh, right. We get launched into the Forsaken Fortress via barrel on catapult, which I thought was a hilarious moment. By it the is. Way. It is funny. I, I enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, and once we land in the fortress, we've lost our sword. It falls onto an upper level. We got to sneak around to go get it back. So yeah, for the entirety of this section of the game, right up until the very end, we do not have a sword. We've got to rely purely on stealth and in a fun little twist, whatever weapons that we can disarm from our enemies. I loved that. I, I loved that you could pick up even when you pick, even when you have your own sword, you can pick up other people's swords or, or weapons like i thought that was so cool which is i loved that again like it's so wild to me like it's one of those things that if you had if you told me like if i didn't know the order they came out and you told me that twilight princess came out before wind waker i would believe you just because these sorts of things are fun extra additions in this game that you don't see again going forward right. like you don't really see this happening again until breath of the wild no but skyward is, sword you pick up Kalactos' sword wait, smack in him in the one, face with in, it sure in one fight but like you know th- this this is a thing that recurs throughout this game it's a bit it's like a mechanic okay um, fine. and and yeah so in that way i actually found it to be a really cool precursor to breath of the wild right yeah like in that very specific microcosm sure i i i I will just say that I thought it was great. I thought it was a fun addition. It was a fun um, little thing that I didn't know you could do. And um, when Tesher was like, yeah, disarm them and take their weapon. I was like, cool. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, that was really fun. Very enjoyed. We also managed to do our best uh, solid snake impression in this area. Uh, And by that, I mean that we (laughs) crawled in a barrel. Yeah, we were able to take advantage of nearby empty containers to hide ourselves from spotlights Um, for, for um, monsters that have um, pig like snouts. um, They are apparently incapable of smelling a a human 10 feet away from them or less than uh, in a barrel, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. Those barrels, uh, they've got to be pure cedar or something, right? Uh, They're they're just, they're disguising the scent. They're highly fragrant wood. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. That's what we're going to say anyway. Okay. Fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll go Ocean with it. cedar. Um, 
yes. <laughs> that's a thing. Uh-huh. Why not? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, I think that all the sneaking around is is pretty fun. Um, to me, this section of the game, like I early on in games occasionally start to get frustrated if we go too long without me getting to the main, you know, the main gameplay loop. Right. Right. Uh, and on, honestly, God, this is really meant to be more of an episode celebrating uh, Wind Waker than it is knocking Twilight Princess. But Twilight Princess, <laughs> Twilight Princess is huge about this, though, right? Because yeah. you start the game and then you get dumped into a wolf section. And then three hours later, you get your sword and are able to do link sword fighting things. Right. It's fair. I think that I think that this whole thing, uh, you know, it probably takes about 30, maybe 45 minutes to get yeah, to that maybe. point. Right. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's about the sweet spot. Like if it had gone on any longer than this, I think I would have started to get real frustrated. Yeah. But I think that what, what this is able to do is to one heighten the tension because this is a very tense feeling environment, right? Yes. Totally agree. And it's so cool because that's a very harsh juxtaposition with the tone, the tone of, of the game in general and of outset Island, which we were just at. Right. right. Um, so that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, but also yeah. 10 points for juxtaposition. Thank you. But yes, it's a, I think it's a really well done section of the game that uh, functionally serves to introduce you to a lot of the movement options that you have, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being able to stealth in barrels, being able to sidle along walls, uh, all of that sort of stuff. It's a good education in those things. So um, yeah, you know, I I think that for, for a first fun little area that isn't quite a dungeon, it's a good time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I I really don't have anything bad to say about it at all, and um, I normally have at least one thing to say, uh, one negative thing to say about. I I wish that the actually I do have one one thing to say. I I wish there was more combat. Just like I enjoyed the little bit that there was, so yeah. I wanted more. Like, yeah. not in a negative way. I, I it's not boring. I just like I want more of it because I enjoyed the little bit that I got to experience. So I want. Give me more. I wish that. Give me, give me more. Don't worry, Matt. You'll have more. You'll get more. I I mean, I know I will, but. I wish that the, I I hesitate to call it a boss fight, but that moment when the spikes come up from the floor and you get your sword and you've got to fight that bokoblin. Yeah. In order to get into the bird's roost or whatever. um, I, I really wish that that had been just a slightly more difficult fight, right? Yeah, I didn't. I, I killed him in like. 30 seconds yeah. less than it was crazy exactly i really wish that that had been a fight that uh that just took a second to get through you mm-hmm. know um but you know a case or uh, what could have been uh, all that uh we'll have many more fun combat experiences later in this in this game of course we get into the bird's roost and uh we are not to have victory this day we don't rescue errol the bird picks us mm-hmm. up and we catch a glimpse of a very interesting looking person at the end of this dungeon uh, indeed we do. Uh, a tall, cloaked figure with fiery red hair. Wonder who that might be. Uh, I wonder indeed. And my nose says, well, hello, Ganondorf. Exactly. And it's so fun because just right off the bat, the very first time I ever played this game, obviously you get nothing. You don't even get dialogue from Ganondorf here. Right. Um, y- you know, you, you get like a little uh, twist of the head, you know. Yep. Just not even like a... And you don't even see his eyes. Even, no, you don't even get the characteristic Ganondorf's... Uh, uh, smirk. Yeah. 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 I was really expecting the Ganondorf smirk. Mm-hmm. But I will it. say the first time that I ever played this game, I loved 
Uh, I was so excited by this moment because I love games in which we get to see Ganon's human incarnation. I totally agree. I think, um, you know, there's something to be said about Ganon in beast form just because, you know, it's the original way that he was represented. And um, in really the first three games, at least four, really, if you count his shadow or his nightmare version. Um uh, yeah, I think that it's really fun to see Ganondorf back and also the direct callback to um, Ocarina of Time and them connecting that the evil that awoke, that awoke uh, to drown the kingdom in darkness again was the same evil. So they're really drawing this connective tissue and laying it on really thick back to that specific Ganondorf, which I love. And that was actually one of the things I also really loved about Twilight Princess was how they brought back that Ganondorf and like it's they're the connective tissue that Nintendo is able to weave between these games while still keeping them um, siloed and feeling distinctive and feeling like their own adventures is really, really cool and unique. And I, and I really love it. Yeah. It is just so interesting because I, I I really, I wonder what happened that was able to, um, or that made Ganon able to break the seal on the sacred realm. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had the Triforce of power with him when Zelda and the sages sealed him away. So I guess it's just a matter of like over time it grew in strength. Yeah. He, he grew in strength. The seal weakened. Obviously there's no hero wielding the master sword to shore it up. The sages maybe, you know, waned in power and, um, you know, I, there's no mention of any kind of Royal family at this point in time. So I, I know, I know, unfortunately that there is a Zelda out there. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who doesn't know, but, um, I'm aware of that. So like, it's, it just seems like one of those things, the same thing that happened in twilight princess, where just eventually Ganondorf was able to break free because he just grew in power. Um, <laughs> Somehow Ganondorf. Retired. I was going to say it. <laughs> this is better though. I don't know why, but it is. It's better. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Um, it's the same, but better. <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> it was so bad. It was really, it was really so bad. bad. Mostly uh, because there were so many other directions they could have gone. And just I didn't. know. I know. I know. <sighs> so that brings us to the end of the Forsaken Fortress. Do you- <laughs> well, welcome back to Sacred Realms, a Star Wars retrospective podcast <laughs> where we shit on the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I was going to say where we where we drag episode nine through the mud at any given opportunity, <laughs> uh, which is which is startlingly easy to do. Startlingly uh, easy. Yeah. So, OK. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the Forsaken Fortress before we kind of move on from here? Uh, no, I'm good. OK. Cool. Sounds good to me. Well, with that being said, let's move on to part four, which is bloopy trails, where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. Did you have a bloopy trail, Matt? Uh, I got that lady a pet pig. I gave her a pet pig. Oh, I did that, too. Yeah, it was that's really a, fun. That's it's fun. It's nice to do nice things for people. Yeah, I like being nice. Um, That was good. That was really it. Uh, I read all the dude's notes in the, the older brother's notes. And also laughed my butt off every time I knocked all of his pots off the uh, shelves because mm, I did yep. it every time I went into that house. And it was really funny. <sighs> Where does he keep getting all those pots? He has a lot of pots. Like a lot. Like who's bringing this dude more pots after we break them? And someone should stop. Yeah. Um, it's really it. I think I can't. Yeah, my, my big ones were just like in in a lot of these intro areas of the 3D Zelda games. 
the bloopy trail at the very beginning becomes can i find all the rupees that are hidden around yeah you i know? found a lot of them but i in, in looking at zelda dungeon i did miss some of the ones in the mountain yeah i, I think i came away with like 45 or so and um, I spent a lot of those on uh, stuff at Beetle, right? Like I yeah. went, I went ahead and grabbed the bait bag. Yep, and that. and bait. Yep, and a hioi pair. I, I I grabbed both kinds of bait that he had and the bait bag also. Yes, I do. I do really love that this game has. Thank got- you. <laughs> bye. Uh, <laughs> bye bye. Yeah, I I do really love that this game has got kind of a little bit more inventory to manage than a mm-hmm. lot of Zelda games do, right? Um, you know, in that way, it is kind of similar again to Breath of the Wild, where we've got like, you know, an inventory full of normalish seeming things that do different things in this game world. You know, right. um, it's a lot more things to juggle than we had in Majora's Mask, and it's more things that we have to juggle after this in uh, Twilight Princess. Uh, Skyward Sword kind of brings it back around, right? Right, where we have a lot of materials that uh, that we collect and that are all able to be used towards upgrading and advancing things which is not yeah. necessarily what these are for but it's still it's cool to have an extra system here, and it's know? a lot easier on the wii u gamepad when i have a whole basically larger version of a switch that is purely in my case dedicated to inventory management and map so like, I, that's really cool so i, I like really that. meant I, I don't mean to derail blue trails too much but i did mean to ask you earlier uh have you had much experience with a wii u before no Okay. This is the second thing I've ever played on a Wii U. What was your what was your experience playing this game with the gamepad? I don't love the gamepad. It's kind of clunky. Um, the the joysticks are too too spaced apart from the buttons, and like I don't have large hands anyway, so I can't imagine being you know like a female with small hands trying to play on a gamepad. That sounds like not fun. Um, the gamepad itself is just kind of clunky, but I like the aspect of basically having a whole other screen dedicated to inventory management so you don't have to be going in and out of your menu all the time. Um, also, being able to pull your map up on it is really fun. Uh, I almost wish that I could have, like, I don't know, the screen and then the controls closer together maybe like i could do the smaller screen basically is what i'm saying is um shrink that screen put everything a little group it up a little closer together and i think you have a much better functioning controller obviously that then limits your ability to play game on it but sure um, sure sure it's really interesting to me. The biggest deal is I, I agree with you to me. The joysticks are too far apart and that makes it a little awkward. Of course, after like a few minutes, I get used to it. Um, it also has intrinsic motion controls, which I hate. I'm sure you can turn that off in the settings. I'm sure I can. I just yeah. haven't done it yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the joysticks being kind of far apart and not being offset are. That is true. Yeah. It's not offset. Every yeah. other Nintendo has offset. A- and I think a PlayStation doesn't, but Xbox does. Yeah. Every controller that I've really used throughout my entire life has had offset Um joysticks yep that's crazy so it, that it's, is also why it feels weird yeah so I, I i don't i don't love that necessarily i do love uh, <laughs> as you said the inventory management as well i will say that i have actually played this game so this is going to be my fourth time playing wind waker and um i think the third time that i played through it i did so completely on the gamepad nice i, I was playing it like a switch interesting really. and i'm not going to do that this time i will say that the resolution of the screen on the gamepad is better than i remembered it being mm. for some reason in my head it was the same resolution as like a 3ds and it's definitely higher than that like it it, it definitely it's got pretty good clear picture um 
I, I do want to play it on the big screen. So that's the way that I'm going to just the way that I'm going to do it. But I, I am a little annoyed. Um, it's irritating to me that you can switch the you can switch the gameplay to your gamepad. Mm-hmm. And if, at, at that point, audio is coming through your headphone jack, right? The, right. Full, the full game audio. I wish that I could just plug my headphones into that headphone jack and it give me the full game audio, regardless of whether or not I'm playing the full game on the gamepad. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I wish that I could turn the volume completely down on my big TV. Right. And just like, you know, not waking babies up and stuff like just listen through the headphones. It's a really weird thing to me. Yeah, for sure. So. Anyway, all of these are probably contributing factors for why uh, most people look back on the Wii U as maybe not like the pinnacle of Nintendo console design. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. But it's interesting because it very much in a lot of ways feels like a proto switch, you know? It, it does. You can see the bones there for sure. Yeah. Okay, regardless, let's get back to Bloopy Trails, which is what we were actually talking about. So I already <laughs> said I did a big collection game with rupees on the island, and uh, that was that was pretty much really it for me. Um, you know, I tried to collect as many chests as I could, uh, or no, I guess the chests on Forsaken Fortress are just the compass and the map, right? So yeah, nothing even really to, to speak of there. No item. Yeah. So, so yeah, really it's just kind of filling out my inventory, uh, in all of the ways that I could at the moment. They're not necessary at this point in the game. You don't need the bait bag right now. Right. But I wanted to get off of Offset Island having purchased everything that I was able to buy from Beetle at that time. Yep. So that was my big bloopy trail. Let's get into Z targeting where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Uh, Matt, I am once again going to let you go first. Who was your Z targeting pick? And I feel like we've actually this this is a pretty good crop of of characters to choose from here. Yeah, there's some really good ones. But mine is definitely Errol um, to quote Rosa Diaz from Brooklyn Nine Nine. If anything were to happen to Errol, I would first kill everyone in this room and then myself. And uh, then something did happen to Errol. And now I'm going to go kill everybody in that room and probably not myself. But, you know, yeah, I have a, I have a hunch that Errol is probably not going to die a horrible death in this I game. Really? She better not or I'm going to never play this game ever again. That would be so. a real swerve for this like cheery, lighthearted game. If it like if it ended with Errol being slaughtered or something, that would be so dark. Oh, my gosh. That's going to make me. Uh, no, we're not. doing that's that. like okay. that's like even more than Twilight Princess levels of dark right there. Yeah, for so, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I have a good feeling about Errol, but that's a that's a very good pick. I will say that Errol also has an alternate outfit. If you start the game up in the mode that I originally did, instead of her blue dress with a hibiscus flower mm-hmm. on it, she's got a purple dress with a little pirate skull on it. Aww. So there you go. Everyone, yeah, everyone gets fun. everyone gets new outfits in the uh, in the alt. Good. Uh, yeah. In, well, that's the, good. in the alt game mode. Uh, yeah. My Z targeting. I'm going to pick Orca. Um, I really like Orca as a character. I love this little sword mini game that you're able to do with him. It's just training right now. But when we visit him later on in the game, there's actually like a little a little sword training quest that you get to do. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I really like his uh, his dynamic that he's got with his smarter yet uh 
much less likable brother who lives above him, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I always appreciate Link being instructed in the art of combat by people who actually know how to do combat. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a good thing for sure. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like not a lot of incarnations of Link have any sort of formal training whatsoever. It's always more like <laughs> you found this sword, sword in a box. Now go use it, and you're like, go wait, do what? combat. You're yeah. Like, wait, hold on, hold on. What <laughs> exactly? So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. But Orca's got this really fun, like salty beach man who lives in a hut vibe you know yeah for sure uh and i yeah i just i I think he's got i think he's got a lot of character i like that orca yeah yeah i I agree good character except outside of the thrusting comment yes great we're gonna chalk that up to some unfortunate translation (laughs) and and assume and assume that orca is in fact not a huge pervo (laughs) okay i think that's probably a safe assumption cool all right well with that being said let's move into part six which is our final thoughts where we talk uh, where we let Matt wrap up this section of the game in as succinct a way as he could possibly think to do. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's my job. Um, all right. Uh, so this uh, intro section of the game is really a standout section uh, for intros that we've had so far. It sets a great tone, um, one of uh, joy and kind of adventure um one that is is very different from the games that we've most recently played especially um there's a lot to look forward to here from a mechanics perspective from a uh, music perspective from the enjoyableness of the first little dungeon um all of it is kind of coming together to be a, a really great uh teaser for what is to come and i'm very excited to uh see where it takes us there's some great characters to uh, be invested in uh we have the return of a great villain uh and trying to uh unravel how that all came about is definitely going to be um a great mystery for us to dive into as kind of a subplot to uh the main plot of the game so i think there's a lot to look forward to and it's just a great very strong start to the game Yep, couldn't agree more. With that being said, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. We will, of course, be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, where we cover another section of this game, including this game's first actual dungeon. Going to be a great time. We'll have a guest on for that one, Cody, as we mentioned before, uh, and always love bringing him around to talk about these games. So before we get out of here for today, Matt, I wanted to introduce kind of a secondary section from the Sacred Realms Rundown. Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. I wanted to, because this is sort of uncharted territory for us, right? We don't do new things. Previous to this, either we had all, like we had both either played the game or we had both not played the game. Ooh, yeah, true. I guess except for A Link to the Past, which you had not played. That's true. Yeah. But this is a this is a 3D game. True. And, and this game is much more in the vein of what we grew up with, you know, that being Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Sure. Right? Like this is an extension of that convention of Zelda game design. Yep. For one, did that did it feel that way to you? Yeah, definitely. It felt familiar in a good way. Um un, unlike Link to the Past, which felt very, you know, foreign um to me. Personally, uh, this feels familiar. I had no problem at all uh, diving in and, and understanding the mechanics and the and the gameplay. And like, yeah, I, I, I've it felt uh, not quite like slipping on a, an old pair of slippers, but, um, you know, something adjacent. Gotcha. Find cool. another metaphor. So with that being said, I uh, what would be another metaphor? It felt like. Um, uh, hmm. Uh, I don't 
don't know. Your, your favorite pair of shoes. No, because that's the same metaphor. Slipper, yeah. No, it's the same metaphor. Uh, it, it's a, uh, a good home-cooked meal like mom used to make. Feels like coming coming back home after a long time. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll, cool. we'll come up with something better. Sounds good. But. Sounds good. So with all that being said, here's here's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yes. What are you hoping to get out of this game going forward? Ooh. Like to to you, what so now that you've gotten your first little taste of what this game is, yeah. What would be required to put this game very high up <clears throat> in your ranking, potentially even above I, I mean, I don't want to be hopeful and say Breath of the Wild, but no. like, you know, like, I mean, what would what would knock this game above Skyward Sword in the ranking? Um well it, it would have to really outshine Skyward Sword and the areas that Skyward Sword is strongest, right? Like it would have to um, give me really excellent characterizations of our main characters and our supporting cast, really good dungeons. Um, one area that I can already tell you it probably will exceed Skyward Sword is exploration. So I can tell that it's probably going to overshine it there. Um, but I've, I'm really looking for strong Strong characters, strong story, um, good mechanics. Like I, I like the mechanics that I've seen so far. Um, I think that there's still room for some of the clunkiness of the Wii U specifically to hinder just in like something like using, I don't know, maybe a bow or in anything that you're using to travel around. Just that clunkiness could could come into play. But um, yeah, I think that's what, what I'm really looking for is is how strong is the story? How good are the characters? Um, how uh, fluid and, and intuitive and well done are the mechanics of the game and uh, systems within. And of course, a good crop of items. Yes, items. Items are good items. And and I think that for me, that flows into the mechanics part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because items are part of how you flesh out mechanics within the game itself. Um, And I think that that is a strong point of Skyward Sword as well as Ocarina of Time is they have really excellent items that play well with the systems that they're designed to play with. And um, they, they flesh out, they flesh out that game in a meaningful way. Cool. Uh, The last thing I want to ask you about is, so each of these 3d Zelda games has its main exploratory area. Sure. And we, we haven't really had a lot of time to get to know the great sea sure. yet, but if you had to guess, make some assumptions about what you're expecting to get out of that. Mm-hmm. I would like to see some, uh, some treasure. I want to see some, some pirate booty. Um, not the sexual kind, but the gold kind. Um, and I would like to see uh, maybe some naval combat would be kind of fun, like boarding a Bokoblin ship or, um, you know, if, once I get a bow or some kind of ranged weapon, just like being able to shoot stuff from my the the King of Red Lions, which I know is isn't your little boat that you get. Um, and I don't know, kind of finding uh, cool little lost islands that have that have things to find on them, like little, little Easter eggs and little um, puzzles and stuff like that would that would that would be fun. OK, very nice. Well, maybe time, a sea monster or two, maybe a sea monster or two. Well, time will only tell if Matt's expectations and hopes are borne out into real life things that actually happen. Uh, some of those I don't think you'll have to wait very long to uh, experience and some of them we'll see. 
Mm -hmm. But is it fair to say that you are excited? I am very excited. I have been excited since we uh, concocted this crazy idea of Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. Well, there you go. You'll love to hear it. And I'm pretty sure I just butchered the word retrospective, but whatever. No, I think everyone I, everyone <laughs> knew what you meant, Matt. We, we, well, understood, we understood the spirit of the statement. Well, all right. With all that being said, I think that brings us to the end of the episode for the week. Uh, as predicted, we are well under the two-hour mark for this one. Yay. Go us. That is an hour and a half long episode right there. Woot woot. Which I feel like back in the day we felt like was, was like really long. So long. And we were like, oh, we've got to shorten this up. And then uh, two hours, two hours, 15 minutes, two hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Might it ever happen again? Who's to say? Uh, but for now, I think it's it's fun just to be able to have a conversation where, yeah, you know what? We're digging into a new experience and uh, we're pretty much completely in agreement about what we got into here. Absolutely. Totally agree. That's a good time. All right. Well, with all that being said, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Get out of here for the week. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on The Wind Waker Chapter 2. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. The Wind Waker can be played on the Nintendo GameCube in its original version. It can be played on the Nintendo Wii U in its HD version, and I believe either version can be played on a a dolphin emulator given that you have a uh, compatible device which i think should be any pc capable of running games of any kind but in the meantime may your hearts be full may your arrows never miss we will catch y'all next time Bye bye sacred realms is an independent podcast production which is produced edited and mixed by me lyndon willoughby our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. <laughs>